You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Amazing. Thank you. Um, would you turn with you in your Bibles with me to Matthew uh, chapter 28? Got a bit of scripture this morning to get through, which is always amazing because the Word of God transforms. It's powerful. Lord, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that you're here. Lord, we ask, Lord, would you speak to us as you already are? Would you enlarge us? Would you challenge us? Lord, we humble ourselves this morning and say we want to become more like you. Lord, we don't want to, Lord, approach truth and say, if it fits my belief, I'll respond. But, Lord, let your truth and your voice shape who we are, shape our belief. We love you, Lord. Amen. So Matthew 28, I'm going to read from verse 16, says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I love that, uh, just as an aside, that it says, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. This should be our response to seeing Jesus. Worship is not just, uh, you know, three songs or singing that we do on a, on a Sunday morning when we get together. Worship is a response to the revelation of Jesus. If we don't see him, we won't worship him. And if we struggle to worship, can I, can I encourage you not to just go and put on more songs, but to actually ask God, let me see you. Let me behold you. Because as we see him, we can't help but respond to him. Worship is revelation that leads to response. That's not what I'm preaching this morning, but I just, I love that and I couldn't get by it. This thing, go therefore and make disciples, is our call. It's our, it's our commission to be a people who go, or, or more accurately, as we are going, who make disciples. That, that in the going, our point is to make disciples. We can't move away from this. Too often, the church has neglected this and we focus on other things to our own detriment. This is our call. We engage the community. We engage those that God's put in our sphere. Uh, we, we then establish biblical foundations, not just engage them so, to get to know them, but engage them to point them to Jesus. When they respond to him, then to see biblical foundations, their life begins to be formed on the foundation of who Jesus is and his word. To equip them believers to make disciples. Not just to come sit in meetings, but to be disciple makers. And then, to be honest, to actually release and empower disciple makers. There's got to be a releasing that we then go and actually do it. The church that Jesus is building is a church of disciplers. The series that we're in, we're in a series that we're looking at that we've, uh, we've called the church that Jesus is building. We want to look at stuff and uh, unpack scripture and say, Jesus, what is the church that you're building? You, what is your bride uh, supposed to look like? Because we can have all sorts of great ideas about what the church should look like, but we, <laughs> Jesus is preparing us as a bride for himself. So it'd be good to go to scripture and to ask him, Jesus, what does your bride look like? What should we look like? What should we be doing? What should we be giving our time to? The church that Jesus is building is a church of disciples. 
When we quote Matthew 28, we usually start with verse 18 or 19. And we miss, I think, a key point. Verse, verse 18, um, or sorry, verse 19, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Or verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples. If we start with those, I think we miss a key point in verse 16. Verse 16 says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And then it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, and then he gives them the great commission. I think that the key is this. Jesus gave the great commission, the, the commandment to go make disciples to disciples. When Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, he's speaking to those who are themselves disciples. The point is this, to make disciples, I have to be a disciple. If we're going to make disciples, we have to be disciples. The church that Jesus is building isn't just a church of disciplers, it's a church of disciples. The church of people who are ourselves being transformed into his image, ourselves being discipled and becoming more like him so that we can disciple others to become more like him. It also says, like we said, that when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. The, the commission to make disciples was given to disciples and it comes from the place of encountering him. Think about the picture. They, they, he says go, I mean, there's a whole other thing about that they went to the place that he told them to go to, which is, oh, I'm not gonna get into all that because that's a whole other preach. But they go to the place that he tells them to go to. He's there. They see him. They're, they're, they go, wow. Because, I mean, he's, he's now resurrected. He's, he's glorified. They see him and they go, they begin to worship him. And from that place of worship, where they're, you know, I, I don't think they just went, oh, great, it's Jesus. Hey, how you going? Like, and then everyone just sat down and, they, like, they're, they're undone by his glory. They begin to worship him. And from that place of encountering him, he, then he says, as they're worshiping, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go. From this place of encounter, from this place of my presence, go and make disciples. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. This call or this commission comes from the place of seeing Jesus and worshiping him. It's not just a dry, it's not a manual. It's not boxes to tick so that we you know, make disciples and we see churches grow. It comes from the place of encountering his presence, being with him, seeing him from that place as his disciples, he says, now go make more disciples. As we seek to be disciple makers, we have to remember that the, the work of making disciples is part of God's bigger plan of redemption. It's actually his plan to see people restored to relationship with him. I love last week, um, uh, for those of you that weren't here, we had my dad here from Tasmania, and he was preaching, and he's a, I think he's an Ephesians 4 teacher. Um, and he was preaching on things we should fight for. And his point was this, that the things that we should fight for, the supremacy of Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the priesthood of all believers, and, and, and other things, are the results or the fruit of the Ephesians 4, five-fold ministry. That the apostles come and refocus us on the supremacy of Christ. That prophets come and refocus us on the fullness of the Spirit. And there's a fruit that comes from that.
to be disciples and make disciples is part of God's bigger picture of redemption. And it's his process. He gave gifts. He gave away. And if we neglect his way, then we end up with different results. Too often we think we have a better way. But we don't. We can try it. You can try it. I I don't recommend it. But so often we think, I know better than God. His way doesn't seem to to fit into the culture that we live in. So I'm going to try it my way. But we end up with different results, often in brokenness and hurt and pain because we're trying to do it our way. His way of the larger work of redemption is disciples who make disciples. Making a disciple and being a disciple is not the mission of the committed few. It's not the mission for the full-time pastors. It's the call to every Jesus Follower, It's his way of seeing the kingdom advance and people restored into relationship with himself. As we, as we seek to be disciple makers, and I hope that there's something in your heart that says, I, I want to be someone who makes disciples of others. We have to remember that the work of making disciples is part of his bigger plan. And the calling is for every single one of us who calls Jesus Lord. If you call Jesus Lord, then it doesn't matter whether you think you're called to make disciples or not, you are. That's what the Bible says. There's certain things that aren't like, uh, I know we joke about it, but a couple weeks ago we, we were announcing having a baptism and Elodie said, you know, if you haven't been baptized, you know, go pray about it and, you know, and, and see if you want to. There's certain things in the Bible that, that God doesn't say go pray about or go think about if you want to do it. He just says, go do it. He says, repent and be baptized. Not repent and then go think about being baptized if you feel like it, maybe at some point down the track. No, no, the first step of obedience after repentance, saying, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, is to then surrender myself and be baptized as a public declaration of my faith. The, 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 you know, he doesn't say, uh, you know, um, as you worship me you know, and you see me and you're worshiping, if you feel like being a disciple maker at some point in the future, once you've read the Bible a few times and you feel like you're mature, then go make disciples. No, no, from the place of encountering his presence, he goes, says, now go make disciples. It's not a choice. It's a, it's a, it's a command. It's a commission. Yeah. Elliot and I have been, um, had the privilege of leading the team that leads this church, Melbourne Lights Church, for 14 years now. Actually, it's 14 years, the start of May, um, which is a long time. But we love it. It's amazing. And thank you guys for letting us lead this team that leads the church. And there's, along the 14 years, there's been a lot of different challenges that, that come up. Um, you know, the, the, there's challenges in leading a team that leads any church. Um, but while there's a lot of challenges, some of those challenges have forced me and forced us, but forced me to mature and to grow. Um, we started leading, uh, I was 26 when we started leading this team. And so there's, a, there's still a lot of growth and maturing. I, I hope we, our, our desire is always to keep growing and maturing. But there's a lot of growth and maturing, uh, if we can be honest, that still needed to happen in my life. And some of those, hmm? All the people that have been here for the last 14 years were like, amen. There was, <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, and so, but you know, we can look at them as, oh, these, these hard challenges. But I think that it's actually a great opportunity to force, and it's forced me to grow and to mature and to pursue Jesus. Um, uh, for example, uh, yeah, I've been told many times since I started leading that I didn't know everything. It's, I mean, it's, it's true, which I also think um, is something that comes with leading when you're young. 
which is why Paul writes to Timothy in Timothy, don't let people look down on your youth, but be an example in word and conduct and, and so forth. I mean, this isn't a new thing. This was happening in Bible times. Timothy was a young man leading. Um, and so Paul writes to him and says, don't let, let people look down. And so it, it, it happens. We um, told I don't know everything. P- people are well-meaning, more often in the early days. They'd say things like, you're, you're young so you don't have the experience. Or you haven't seen enough yet to really know. Or, yeah, you can't teach about how to raise kids when you haven't had kids yourself. Someone told me once when another young pastor fell that I had nothing to do with. This is why we shouldn't have young pastors. See what happened over there? This, and I went, oh, okay, that didn't have anything to do with me, but uh, sure. While those comments could seem harsh, and at the time some of them, you know, they were, some of them were harsh, but I, you know, we trust people have a good heart. It made me realize very quickly that if, I was gonna, if, if I'm going to do what God's called me to do, if I'm going to step into the things he's called me to, then I need to surround myself with people who have had experience, who have seen it before, who are at different stages of life than me, who are more mature than me, people who know the word. I need to not just surround myself with those people, but I need to ask for their advice and their input and, can I say, Listen to what they actually said. Some of those lessons were harder lessons to learn. Because to be honest, and Elodie can, can, can tell you this, we, we sometimes went and sat with older people who, had, who were you know, further down in their faith. And they told us their input, and we went, what do you know? You're just old. And we did it ourselves anyways. And sometimes things didn't work. We didn't say it to their face, but, you know, in our hearts. We went, okay. And then we just went, because, you know, we don't usually say to someone's face when we ask for their input, oh, what do you know? We just, we smile and nod. And then we just go, I'm going to do my own thing anyways. And I'm sure they sat there and went, oh, we're going to learn the hard way now. And we did. And you guys were gracious. Many of you were gracious with us, uh, us and as a team. Um, I had this distinct personal revelation of uh, what Gabby preached uh, a couple weeks ago about a church for all generations. Um, every generation has a part to play, and we need every generation to play their part. It was like a, a, a lightning bolt revelation when you step into leading a team that leads a church at the age of 26. It made me say, I need to know the Bible. I need to know what the Bible says, not just what I think is good or what other people say the Bible says. Because I don't have to live it to preach it if I'm preaching the word of God. I have to live it, I have to have lived it to preach it if I'm just preaching my own experience. But if we're preaching the word of God, I don't have to live, have lived it, I just need to know the word of God. And we preach the word. It's made me realize that I need to always be, uh, continue to be a disciple and to seek out discipleship in my life. Some of us learn this the easy way, and I hope this morning that I can help you learn this the easy way and that you don't have to learn it the hard way, like we did at times. It's helped me realize that I have to be intentional about learning and about growing and about having people speak into my life so that I can do the same thing for others. The elders on this team can, can testify to that, and Hans and Ellie, because they were elders when we started leading this team, um, and we've sought out their advice often. They can testify to the fact that we are often asking for input and asking them to speak into our lives. And I'm glad that I've learned this early in my life because it set me up for a lifetime, I think, of growth and impact. But what I see too often 
in the church is people who want impact, they want to minister to others, which is good, they, they, they want profile, they want leadership, they want a platform, but they're not disciples themselves. They're not seeking input. They're not being discipled. They're not walking humbly or being willing to serve. Luke, uh, in Luke chapter seven, he gives a, a, um, an account of a similar truth. You turn to Luke chapter seven, verse one to 10 with me. It's not exactly the same context, but it's a similar idea to this. Luke chapter seven from verse one, the heading says, Jesus heals the centurion's servant. It says this, after he had finished all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick um, and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he's worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is one who, um, who built us our synagogue, and Jesus went with them. And as he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, um, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd. He, he said, uh, sorry, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is a passage we often, uh, we often preach out of around faith and healing. But I think this is not just a passage about healing. It's a powerful passage about the kingdom. To have authority, we have to be under authority. To make disciples, I have to be a disciple. Remember, the, the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the world. It's a, it, it, it's a, it's a different kingdom. In the world, my, my impact, my... Success. I don't like the word success, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. My, my, my success in the kingdom, my impact is linked in the world to, to my skill and my ability. Often it's a byproduct of how well I can sell myself and my ability to others. So that I get hired, I get, I get uh, you know, pay rises, I get better positions. But in the kingdom, it's not like that. In the kingdom, my impact or my success comes from abiding in Christ. It comes from being knit into the vine. It comes from being under authority. It comes from humility. It comes from service. It comes from being connected to and playing my part in the body. Because when I'm disconnected, we, we, we talked about this a little while ago, about that we exist for his glory and we abide in him. When I'm disconnected from the body, I become a dead, useless branch. My impact and success is always tied into the health and the success of those he's added me to. We think very individualistically in our culture, but the, 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 the cultures that the Bible was written into were communal. It wasn't individuals and then bringing their understanding together. It was we, we, we do this all together. Like, I can't exist without you. That was the, the way they approached the scripture. In 2 Chronicles 10, we see the account of a, of a guy named Rehoboam. 
You can read it later if you want to. It's a, the whole chapter is great. Um, Rehoboam, he's Solomon's son. Rehoboam's about to be made king because uh, Solomon's just, just passed away. But before he's made king, Rehoboam seeks the counsel of the older men, it says. And what the older men told him was, when you're made king, lighten the load of the people. Because Solomon has just been preparing to, he's just built the temple. There was a heavy load. There was lots, they were all bringing stuff. They were all working hard. They say, lighten the load of the people and they will follow you. They'll be, uh, be kind to them and they'll follow you. But verse 8 says this of 2 Chronicles chapter 10. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men had given him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him. The young men said the opposite of what the old men said. They said, no, 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 make it harder for the people. Then they'll respect you. They'll know that you're, you know, that you're the ruler, that you're the king. Ultimately, if you read through that chapter, Rehoboam abandons the counsel of the old men. He listens to the counsel of the young men. And he says to the people, you know, I'm going to make it harder for you. And, you know, I'm, you know, you have to respect me. And ultimately, the people rejected him. They rebelled against him. See, he heard what the old men had to say. But he had already set his heart, his heart to be a hard ruler. And when he went to the old men and they said, no, no, be kind to them. And they'll follow you. Lighten their load. His heart was already set on a direction. So he went looking for someone who would confirm where his heart was already set. He went and found those he had grown up with. And he knew, because he'd grown up with them, what the advice that they would give. So he asked their advice. He goes, yep, that's the one. So he goes back. He becomes a hard ruler. The people rebel against him and reject him as king. So often, we keep asking until we get the advice that we want. That's not discipleship. That's tokenism. I've already set my heart on a direction, and I'm just going to ask and ask and ask and ask until I find somebody that tells me what I want to hear. And I go, but they told me. Never mind the seven other people that told you something different, because my heart was already set on something. Paul writes the same thing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 4 verse 3. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure a sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves or search for teachers to suit their own passions. When we do this, it stops us from becoming disciples. When we do this, we've already set our heart on this is my belief and never shall it be changed. This is my course of action and nobody can tell me differently. So I'm just going to go and find other people who already agree with me. And we'll create our own little group. It stops us from being disciples, which stops us from being able to make disciples. There's two other things that stop us from being disciples. I think those things are pride and offense. See, Jesus gave the command to go make disciples to his disciples, to those who are already disciples. But pride and offense stop us from being disciples. Looking for those who will confirm what I've already set in my heart you know, what I've already decided, uh, decided on, and pride and offense. When we let pride and offense enter our hearts, we stop seeking input. Rather than just looking for the input that already agrees with what I want to do, we stop seeking input because pride has entered my heart. I, I, when, I, when I'm prideful, I close my heart to the wise counsel of the people God's placed around me, and I go looking for what I want to hear. 
in Matthew 28, 16 that we read, it says the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Does that sound funny? Because wasn't there, there was 12, wasn't there? But here there wasn't 12 anymore because Judas wasn't a disciple anymore. Because he had let pride and offense enter his heart. And although he was with Jesus himself, he ended up leaving him and betraying him. How? I often ponder this. How does someone who Jesus called come follow me? And he responded and he spent that time with Jesus. How does he end up walking away and betraying him? I think it's because something of pride and of offense entered his heart. I mean, we also know that he was stealing money and there was maybe something of greed as well. But there's something in his heart where even though he was with Jesus, he was focused on something else. Pride says, I already know it all, so why would I be a disciple? Just let me make disciples. Why would I ask for input? It might not be that blatant because we don't, we don't often you know, communicate inwardly with ourselves that blatantly. We're a bit more subtle. But it's often, you know, that's good for somebody else, but not for me. You should respond to this, but I'm all right. That, that, that truth is good for someone else to respond to. You know, I'll tell others about it, but I'm not going to do it myself. That's pride. Or we hear the truth, but we reject it because it doesn't fit into what I believe. That's pride. Rather than letting the truth transform us and transform our belief, we reject the truth. That's pride. When we allow offense to take root in our heart. And sometimes, uh, you know, we, we don't even realize offense is taking root because there has been genuine hurt. You know, we get hurt, and so then the next time that situation comes up, we respond to that, and there's an offense. And if we're not open to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me, renew me, show me the areas that, that, that I'm holding on to, show me the hurts in my life so that I can be healed. If we're not willing to do that, then over time, we get more and more hurt. And not only are we offended, but there's a root of bitterness that takes, that takes hold in our heart. And when that happens, when that happens, rather than, than seeing Jesus and worshiping him, we sit in judgment and react in bitterness. When we hear truth, our response is not, wow, that's the truth, let me respond. Our response is, I can't do that. How dare you ask me to do that? Our response is a response of offense and bitterness. It actually, like we filter the truth of who God is and what he's saying to us through our lens of offense and bitterness. Stops us from being a disciple. In the kingdom, it's when I humble myself that God's able to use me. James 4 verse 6 says, God opposes or resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Oh, let us be a humble people. God, we want your grace. We cry out, Lord, give us your grace. And he says, then humble your hearts. In the kingdom, it's in submission and service that I'm released to impact. Not, not submission to hierarchy. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not submission to hierarchy, but submission to the lordship of Jesus. Submission to his presence, to those who God's called to give an account for me, to those who God's added me to in fellowship. Elisha wanted uh, Elijah's mantle. He actually wanted, a, he ends up getting a double portion, which is amazing. 
But in the meantime, after he sees Elijah, he serves Elijah. He doesn't just go, oh, you know, I'm gonna get that mantle, so come and get me when you're ready. I'm gonna do my own thing. No, no, he sees him and he goes, I want that. So he goes and serves him in the mundane, with no platform, with no visibility. And God ends up honoring the service with a double portion. Jesus says in Matthew 25, verse 26, but whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. In the kingdom, it's servant leadership. In the kingdom, it's, uh, it's submission and service opens the door to impact. Matthew 23, verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Humility and submission not only release the grace of God in our lives, but they allow God himself to exalt us. So what's the point that I'm trying to make? The point is this. We want to be a church who makes disciples. We want to be a people who make disciples, who see people becoming more like Jesus. But to make disciples, I have to be a disciple. We have to be disciples. We don't want to be a church who just makes disciples. We want to be a church of disciples. What I'm saying is the church that Jesus is building the church of disciples who make disciples. To have impact, we have to be proactive in our own spiritual growth. Can you hear this this morning? To have impact in the kingdom, you have to be proactive in your spiritual growth, in your pursuit of Jesus. Somebody else can't pursue Jesus for you. Somebody else can't make you grow. It's one of the most frustrating things as a leader in the church because I wish that I could make you grow. I pray that you would grow. I pray that you would be enamored with Jesus. I pray that you would see him and worship him, but I can't make you do it. Make time to be in his presence. Make time to study the word. Make time to worship him and allow God to speak to you. Being a disciple always comes from this place of encounter. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Seek out the place of encounter. Seek out discipleship. Be proactive. What does that mean? It means don't sit back and wait for somebody to approach you. Go and say, uh, you know, can you speak into my life? Can, you know, can, can I sit with you? Um, you know, can, is there something I can do? Se seek out discipleship and input. Listen to it. Put it into practice in your life. I love it when people come, uh, you know, and you know, whether they're new to the church or they've been here for ages and they say, um, you know, can, can, you, can we get together regularly? Can, can I get involved in a discipleship group? How do I get involved in a discipleship group? How do I, how, you know, can you speak into my life? Is there somebody that can speak into my life? It's not all me. It's not, it's not hierarchy. It's not like, you know, I'm the, the guy who leads the team, so it has to all be me or it has to all be Paul. It's us together. Who would be best to speak into my life? It's a good question to ask. I love that. You know, how can I become more like Jesus? What a great question. When was the last time you asked somebody, how can I become more like Jesus? Because often we like to go sit with somebody and tell them how they should become more like Jesus. That's not the question to ask. The question is, how do I become more like Jesus? The amount to which you're willing to humble yourself and seek input is the amount to which God will release you. As we do this, our prayer is that the word of God continues to increase 
and the number of disciples multiply greatly. Why? It's not so that we have more people in the church. So that the kingdom is advanced. That more people know Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? My challenge to you today is this. Who's discipling you? And who are you discipling? Who's investing into you so that you become more like Jesus? Not just hanging out with you, because you know, friendship is great, but that's not discipleship. I mean, we need friends. It's good to have friends. But not just who do we hang out with. Who is investing into you so you become more like Jesus? And who are you investing into so they become more like Jesus? If you've allowed pride or offense or bitterness or even just seeking out what you want to hear rather than what God's saying or input to stop you from being a disciple, would you respond to Jesus? Even right now, would you respond to him in repentance this morning? Ask him to set you free. If you've allowed a root of, of bitterness, maybe from very real hurt, ask him to set you free this morning. If you recognize something of pride in your life, where you thought, I can do this on my own, or I know better, or, you know, that truth doesn't fit my belief, right now, would you just say, I'm sorry, Lord. I humble myself. Show me your grace. A.W. Tozer said this, I'm looking for the fellowship of the burning heart, for men and women of all generations everywhere who love the Savior until adoration becomes the music of their soul that they don't have to be fooled with and entertained and amused. Jesus Christ is all in all. This is the cry of our hearts, to be disciples who are so enamored with Jesus that worship bursts forth from our hearts, that there's nothing that's, that, that can hold us back from running to his presence, and we, there's nothing that's gonna stop us from bringing other people to him. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, we thank you, Lord, Lord, for your commission to us to make disciples, Lord. But, Lord, we want to be a people who are ourselves disciples of Jesus, Lord, becoming more like you. And so even right now, Lord, we repent where we've let pride enter our hearts. Lord, where we've, if we've heard your truth and we've said, no, that doesn't fit my truth, Lord, we repent right now. And we humble ourselves again. We call out and say, show us your grace, Lord. Give us your grace as we humble ourselves. Show grace toward us. We're not, you know, Lord, we're not worthy, Lord, of your presence. Yet because of your sacrifice, you give us your fullness. And we thank you, Lord. No, we don't want to play religious church games. We want to be transformed by you. We want to stay humble as a people. Lord, that, the, the, that your word would continue to increase and that disciples of Jesus would continue to multiply, not just in this church, but in every church that calls Jesus Lord, that disciples of you would continue to multiply. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your challenge to us today. We thank you for your presence with us. But we don't want to go without responding to you. And so we respond right now.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. We bless you, Lord. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.